Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, I remember that one. I've seen hundreds of crucifixions, but I remember that one. Who could forget? You see, I work for the Roman government. I'm a centurion, a commander in charge of a hundred soldiers. Crucifixions were a regular part of our job. We carried out the swift and necessary punishment for those who were tried and pronounced guilty of their crime. But this day seemed a little different. This criminal didn't seem like a criminal. And the crowd of Jews in Jerusalem were in a frenzy that day. They were all shouting, crucify him, crucify him. But what was he guilty of? I know it's not my job to do this, the sentencing, but what had he done to cause this uproar? Then I heard through the crowd that they were charging him with blasphemy. So this guy said he was the son of God and they want him nailed to a cross for that? I don't know why that would be such a big deal. Shoot, Caesar claims to be one better than that. He says he is a God, but who am I to question? I am just the commander in charge to make sure the sentence is carried out. I went ahead with a few of my soldiers up the hill outside the city to make sure everything was ready while others in my command stayed back to administer the flogging. Oh no, this one wasn't just going to get strung up on a tree. The sentence came with orders for even more punishment. My men may have gotten carried away in all the frenzy that was going around this man, because when he finally got up to the place we call Golgotha, he was unrecognizable. He had been beaten, spit upon, and whipped nearly to the point of death. 39 times, my soldiers told me. Then, what was left of his clothes were stripped off. He was thrown down on the cross, and my soldiers went to work. Generally, when you crucify a man, the first hand is the most difficult. The criminal wants to get away, and he fights you, so we have two soldiers hold him down. This guy, he didn't put up a fight. I just thought he was exhausted. As an executioner, I have been called every name you can imagine. I've had men yell at me, plead with me, and definitely curse me, but I wasn't ready for what happened next. He looked at us, he looked at me, but in his eyes, I saw something so unusual. Instead of hatred, I'm pretty sure I saw love. It was so strange and out of the ordinary that I found myself puzzled and wondering if that was truly what I had just seen. My soldiers carried out the rest of the task. They raised up his cross between the two other criminals, and the wait began. People were shouting, mocking him. The soldiers were joining in and even rolling dice to see who would get his tunic. Then it got dark, like the sun no longer existed. Now, I'm not a superstitious person, but this was like a mystical darkness, and it stayed dark for three hours. In all of my years, I had never experienced anything like that, never. Then Jesus cried out a few times, but eventually he uttered one last loud cry and breathed his last. At that very moment, the earth began to shake. Rocks were splitting apart. People were falling down everywhere. Even I had difficult times standing my ground. But then, 
and something even stranger happened. I don't know how to explain it, but as I stood there looking up at this dead man, I knew something was different. In my heart, that many would say was made of stone. I knew that he was different. And in the midst of all those who still remained on that hill watching, I couldn't help but to proclaim what I now knew to be true. Surely, this man was the Son of God. So you ask, were you there? Oh, I was there. I had to be there. It was my job. But I will never be the same. So we are continuing in this series that we started on Ash Wednesday called, Were You There? And the goal of this series is really to take you back into time to the foot of the cross where Jesus died. And of course, we know that Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose three days later and his resurrection proves that he is victorious over sin, death, and the power of the devil. And that resurrection serves as the foundation for our faith. But... As I mentioned last week, there is no resurrection without the crucifixion. So, as George pointed out, what we're going to do throughout this series of Lent is focus on the cross. And we're going to look at the significance of Jesus' sacrifice through the very eyes of those who were there. Over the years, and even to this day, the cross has become the ultimate symbol of Christianity, hasn't it? I mean, we hang crosses in our homes. Well, we, I have one around my neck. Maybe you have a cross necklace too. People have cross tattoos. And that's fine. You know, it's fine. The, the, the issue, though, is that sometimes the cross, the symbol of the cross becomes so common that we, for, we forget what it was originally designed to do. We forget what happened to Jesus when he was nailed to one of these 2,000 years ago. To help kind of maybe put things in perspective, let me share with you this passage from chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews 12, verse 2. It says, Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So originally, this was a symbol of shame. This was a tool that, that was used to execute people and, and terrorize people. In fact, the Roman uh, general Cicero described crucifixion as the most cruel and terrifying punishment because a cross wasn't just designed to kill them. It was designed to humiliate them. So Jesus endured the cross and its shame. And as a result, this is no longer an object of horror or humiliation, but rather a symbol of hope and love. Today, as we look at the cross through the eyes of those who were there, what I want to do is look at somebody who was there but wasn't there as a friend, but rather as an enemy. Yeah, and as we all know who we're talking about, it's the Roman centurion. He was the guy who was there. He helped rock and and oh my goodness. All right. 
Check. Hey, I'm back. Okay. Uh, so we were talking about the Roman centurion. So the Roman centurion was the guy who helped to mock and beat and crucify Jesus. And, and what I'd like to do is just read uh, about him in Matthew 27. And so you know, this is the context. Uh, it is 9 in the morning, Good Friday. Okay? Matthew 27. Pilate had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium. And that was like the, the, the uh, courtyard of the palace. And gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. So these are a lot of guys, maybe 200 soldiers. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. There, they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. That was a, a kind of a narcotic to help take the edge off the pain. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. So, you know, that was the job of the Roman soldiers. And it was an incredibly brutal scene. I hope you never lose sight of that. It is hard to stomach what Jesus literally encountered and experienced on that first Good Friday. But for that Roman centurion, <laughs> that was his job, right? He got paid to beat and degrade and execute anyone who would stand in the way of Rome. And can you imagine having that job? Can you imagine doing that day after day after day? I mean, that would impact you, and I'm sure it impacted him I'm sure the Roman centurion was not born cold and callous. But sometimes life does do that to you, doesn't it? It can make you hardened. It can make you skeptical. And maybe some of you sitting here or watching online, you know what I mean. Maybe you feel like life has dealt you a bad hand. It's not been fair. You've been mistreated. You've been, mis you've been forgotten. Uh, you question God's wisdom or his love for you? Maybe, maybe your faith was at one time alive and active, but then something happened, boom, and, and, and all of a sudden your heart closed and became cold. Regardless, I just want you to know, no matter who you are, God has the ability to make that heart come alive again. And for that Roman centurion, on that first Good Friday, even though it was just another day, I believe that was a day that God broke through with his grace and changed that centurion's life forever. It, it changed it forever. But only God's grace can do that. Only God's grace can take a rock-hard heart and soften it. So what I'd like to do today in the time I got left is I'd like to just um, share some grace lessons that we can find in the this story of the centurion and his encounter with the cross on that first Good Friday, and how those grace lessons can apply to our lives today, okay? How they can apply to us or anyone who may be feeling hardened or skeptical. And the first grace lesson is this. God is always working to draw people to him. 
God's heart, okay, his passion is to always draw people into a life-changing, eternity-impacting relationship with him. That's his desire. Now, as you can imagine, the life of a Roman centurion or any Roman soldier was not easy. They were often away from home in hostile environments. They had to put down rebellions. Sometimes they were asked to build roads and forts and, and walls. And, of course, they had to execute criminals. When that Roman centurion showed up for his job on you know, that first Good Friday, it was just another day at the office for him, I'm sure. It was just the same old grind. But what that Roman centurion didn't know was that God was going to cut through his routine and change his life. And, and I guess I just want to remind you of that because God is still working in you. Even though you may be waking up to the same alarm at the same time and you eat the same breakfast and you make the same commute to the same school or the same workplace and do the same thing over and over and over again, I get that sometimes that futility can harden you to the point where you fail to see God doing anything in your life. But he is working in you. And he has an incredible plan for you. Acts, Acts 17 verse 27 says, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. So even though, even though God may seem far away, he's a lot closer than you might think. And no matter what you are going through, good or bad, he is working in your life. He is working in you to draw you closer to him. He's constantly at work. And the ultimate goal of God working in you or me or the Roman centurion or anyone for that matter is to turn us from sin so we can enjoy his forgiveness. In Romans 2 verse 4 it says, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? So even though the Roman centurion wasn't aware of it, God was working in him just like he's working in you. And that's grace lesson number one. God is always working in people to draw them to him. Which leads me to grace lesson number two. And it's this, God desires everyone to trust in Jesus. Right? The reason why God is wanting to draw you to him is so that you will trust in Jesus as your one and only savior. And I think we get that. I think most of us sitting here watching online, we understand that, right? But here's the thing. There are times when we put qualifiers on who God is going to save and who God is not going to save. Right? We, we're, great. we're quick to say, oh yeah, God loves everybody. God loves all the children of the world. He loves everybody. But then in our mind, we're saying, but not that one. Because of what they, not after what they've said. Not after what they did. Not after how they spoke. No. Yeah, that, this person's probably beyond God's grace. We do that. And it would be so easy for us to think that way about the Roman centurion, right? He nailed Jesus to the cross, right? He's up there with Hitler and Osama bin Laden. Can you imagine how many people that guy tortured and mocked and killed? And he probably didn't even care. So, yeah, you know, it would be easy to say, no, no, God isn't going to want to love that guy. He's not going to want to save that guy. But that's just not true, and we know that, right? We know that no matter who you are or what you've done, God's grace has no boundaries, and he will always love you. He will always want to save you. 
He will always want to forgive you and transform your life and draw you into a relationship with him. That's that's his desire. I mean, even those people who are undeserving, that is his desire. We hear about this in Romans 5 verse 8. It says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even when we were undeserving, just as bad as the Roman centurion. But that's what real love looks like. Right? It's when you are willing to die for someone who doesn't love you back, who doesn't deserve it, like the Roman centurion, like you, like me. That's love. And that's what Jesus demonstrated. In 2 Peter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. When the, when the Holy Spirit leads you to, um, to repent of your sin and believe that Jesus is your Savior from that sin, God, God gives you His grace and he guides you into a new life with Christ. And that, second reason, second grace lesson, that is why God wants everyone to trust in Jesus. The third grace lesson that we pull out of this story for the Roman centurion is that God never gives up on anyone. I know that the Roman centurion was not looking for God that Good Friday. He wasn't looking for God, but God was looking for him. Right? You know, we heard just a moment ago, 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is patient. God never gives up on anybody, which is good. That's so good. God is patient. I don't know about you, but I try to be patient, but sometimes my patient, patience hits a limit. And then, I, and then I give up. Not God. God's patience is unlimited. Look at this, 2 Samuel 14. God does not just sweep life away because every life matters. God never gives up. Oops, sorry. I got to go back. I got to go back. Okay. He devises ways to bring us back when we have been separated from him. So God devises ways he, to, to, to bring us back. And the way back for us is through humble confession and believing that Jesus is our Savior. Got it. The point I want you to understand is that God never gives up, even though we do. And that's key, because we do give up. We give up on people, right? We do. And maybe you've given up on, I don't know, maybe you've given up on your spouse. Maybe you've been inviting them to come to church with you, maybe to watch it online with you, and they just won't. And so maybe you feel like you need to, you're just going to give up on the hope that they'll ever believe. But listen to me on this. Listen, God hasn't given up on them, so don't give up on them either. And maybe it's not your spouse. Sorry to pick on your spouse. But maybe it's another family member. Or maybe it's a friend or a neighbor. And you're trying to help them encounter the love of Christ. And, and they just keep pushing you off. Or maybe they poke fun of you. Okay, God has not given up on them. Don't give up on them either. In fact, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn the people around you. And I want you to just say, God never gives up. Go ahead and do that. And if you're watching from home, say it to the people that you're sitting there with you. Or maybe text it to somebody. God never gives up. Say it. Say it like you mean it. Okay. Now, thank you. That was awesome. Okay, now here's what I want you to do. And say this. Neither should you. Go ahead and say it to the same people. Neither should you. <laughs> awesome. Pastor Zardy's awesome. Go ahead and say it. No, I'm sorry. I'm done. God never gives up. 
God never gives up. And that's the whole point of this story that Jesus teaches of the lost coin. Are you familiar with that story? In, in Luke 15, Jesus says it this way. He says, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? How long is this woman searching for the lost coin? Is she searching for an hour or two? Or is she searching for a day or two? She searches until what? Tell me. Until she finds it. That's right. Why? Because she never gives up. In this story, she never gives up. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So grace lesson number three is that if you're breathing oxygen, God is not going to give up on that person or, or you. Okay, he didn't give up on the centurion. He's not going to give up on you. Grace lesson number four. God can transform a life instantly. God can take a hardened, cold heart, and he can bring it to life just like that. Just like that. So what does that mean? It means that you don't have to first attend a certain number of worship services or that you don't have to first read a certain number of Bible stories before God is going to be at work in your life. No, no, no. By the power of the Holy Spirit, when you, again, repent of your sin, believe that Jesus is your Savior from that sin, and you ask God for forgiveness from that sin, he gives you his grace immediately, instantly, without even a blink of his eye. For the Roman centurion, he woke up that morning a hardened skeptic. No doubt about that. By the end of that day, something had changed him. And what I'd like to do is just kind of work through some of these next verses in Matthew 27 to show you how God worked through the events of that day to transform his life. So, for example, verse 45, it says, From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. Okay, so in our time, that's from noon to three. It's when the sun is at its peak, right? And then it gets dark. So this is another cloudy day. Okay, this is a dark darkness. And, and it wasn't just a, an eclipse. Eclipses only last seven, eight minutes. This is three hours. And the Roman centurion that caught his attention. And then Jesus died. And then things went nuts. Look at this, verse 51. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn from two, in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. So, so when Jesus died... There's this massive earthquake that's throwing people all over the place. And then there's this curtain in the temple. It's not this little sheer. It's this thick woven curtain about the size of a, you know, a textbook. And it was torn. And it separated the holy place from the most holy place, the, the holy of holies. It was the seed of God. But this was, when this, when this curtain was torn, it signified it's tremendously symbolic. It signified that the barrier that stood between us and God had been removed because of Jesus' death, because of his sacrifice. We now have full, unhindered access to our Heavenly Father. Amazing, huh? But that's not all. Look at this, verse 52 and 53. The tombs broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs. Oh my. And after Jesus' resurrection, so after uh, you know, the first Easter, a couple days later, they went into the holy city, that's Jerusalem, and appeared to many people. That must have been an incredible sight. So, so here's this Roman centurion, and he, all of this stuff is happening. And George read this verse just a moment ago, but listen again. 
verse 54, when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. So along with many others, that Roman centurion discovered the truth about Jesus and his life was transformed by the power of the cross. Right? Along with many others, he realized the truth about Jesus. He is the Son of God. Now, we don't know for sure, because the Bible doesn't tell us anything about the Roman centurion after this. We don't know if he became a Christian, but as George also pointed out, look at this next verse from Romans 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I'll let you draw your own conclusion. But that leads me to grace lesson number five. And it's this, God uses you to share his grace. Again, we don't know what happened to the Roman centurion. Many people believe that his life was transformed. And I'd like to think that that happened as well. I, I can see that. When you encounter the cross and say that Jesus is your Lord, your life changes. So yeah, we don't know for sure, but maybe God used him to share his grace. What I do know is that God wants to use you to share his grace so that other people, the people in and around your life, can be transformed by that power of that cross too. That's why Jesus says in Mark 16, verse 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. God wants to use you to share his grace. And every day is an opportunity for you to do that, right? Whether you're at home, at work, at school, in your neighborhood, whatever. Now, there are certain days when this is, uh, when the opportunity is better, okay? When, when people are more receptive. And a day is coming, it's April 4th. What day is that? Anybody just shout it out. Easter, thank you. It's Easter. Can you imagine on Easter having your family member or friend or whoever, you know, somebody who doesn't know Jesus, somebody who needs God's grace just as much as you do? Can you imagine them coming here or, or watching online? Can you imagine that sight. Titus 2, verse 11 says, For the grace of God, that's Jesus, has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. God wants all people to enjoy his grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Let him use you. And let him use you to maybe invite someone to come here for our Easter worship services. Or, or maybe you're not, you know, maybe for those of you watching online, you don't feel comfortable, maybe you can just you know, invite them to watch. Maybe have a watch party. How cool would that be, right? But invite them because on Easter Sunday, you will hear a clear presentation about who Jesus is and what Christianity is all about. So invite them. Invite them so they too can experience the, the life-changing grace of Jesus Christ, just like the centurion. Well, let me challenge you in a couple of ways this week. Let me close with a couple of challenges. First, let me challenge you to rejoice that God continues to break through your heart with his grace. Even though, and you know as well, I do, as well as I do, sometimes that heart gets a little calloused. Sometimes that heart gets a little hardened. But God keeps going after you. He doesn't give up, right? He keeps searching, keeps seeking. He, he, so be thankful for that. Rejoice in that fact that God still continues to offer you his grace, his forgiveness, his love, his power, his mercy. Second, love others by not giving up on them, no matter what. Just like God doesn't give up on you, don't give up on that person that you think is way outside God's grace. No, love them just like God loves you. And then third, begin praying over names of people you can invite to Easter. Make a list and then start praying. Don't invite them until you pray over them. 
pray that God would guide your words. Pray that God would soften their heart. And then pray that God would make them receptive to what you have to say. So that they will come or they will watch. And they will be able to rejoice with you in this incredible gift of God's grace in Jesus as their Savior too. But let's pray about this, all right? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace that has no boundaries. And we rejoice in the fact that like the Roman centurion, you never give up on us, no matter who we are or what we've done. Father, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, in whom we receive the promise of forgiveness and eternal life. And now having our hearts transformed by your Holy Spirit, use us to share your grace. Use us, Lord, to let people around us know about who you are and what you've done for them in Jesus. And and whenever that opportunity may arise, use us. Lord, continue to bless this series and bless us through it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.